Welcome to the Sanctus NYC Message Podcast. We are the young adult community of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us today as we look to God to lead us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. You know, it's interesting when you go around and you ask people what they do, you know, you say, I'm going to med school. Everybody's like, oh, cool. And depending on what you do, you can sort of feel like, well, I'm not really doing anything. Uh, I don't have a job right now. Um, a lot of us find value in what we do. We, we define who we are, like by the schools that we go to, by the, the, the things that we do, like that people can, this means something in the world which everybody in here is coming from different places and everybody's doing something different. But what I want to talk about today is the one thing that we all have in common. Do you know that you have the same purpose as the person who works for Apple, the barista that's up there, the person who's going to be a doctor, somebody who's working in a hospital right now, me that works in a church? We all have the same mission we're supposed to be on. We all have the same purpose in this life. And what's interesting, I wonder if anybody said, when you're going around, hey, what do you do? Did anybody come up with the answer? What do I do? I tell people about Jesus. Anybody come up with that answer? No. How interesting in a room, 200 plus believers, maybe not everybody in here is a believer, but there's a good 200 Christians in here, that that wasn't the thing that came out of your mouth. That's what we're supposed to be defined by, Christ followers. We're never more like Jesus than when we are going out to proclaim, to seek and save the lost, to spend our lives for the benefit of those who, come to, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we start talking like that, that's like, well, that's not my gift. I mean, that's, somebody has a gift for that, yet we all are called to do it. And that actually is the thing that's supposed to be the defining reality of our life. You might get paid for something different from me, but we are all. And I'm just because I'm a pastor, I was doing this before I ever came to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I am called to tell people about Jesus. I am called to be like the little woman that my wife preached about yesterday, the Samaritan woman. As soon as she looked into the eyes of the great I am, the love of who he is, the wonder of all that that meant, it captured her heart, and she dropped everything that meant something to her, and she ran to proclaim the good news of that gaze. My son, before I came up here, was just saying, you know, when you look into the eyes of Jesus, you become like him. You become like him when you're fixated upon him. And this is a measuring stick of where we are in our faith. This, this, I'm not trying to bring condemnation on anybody. I'm trying to remind us as we rally ourselves to go back into the world that God's called us from, that you've got to take an inventory of where you are in your faith. That's a biblical thing to do. Paul call, calls us to do that. Where are you in your faith? No, I go to church. I, I read my Bible. Do you, do you know I'm going through a Bible study right now on the book of Galatians with Pastor Symbol? It's amazing. Like, I'm really learning the word. I'm taking time. I am praying. Do you know how many hours I spend in prayer every night? If it's not affecting you and changing you in a way where you are leaving to go into the world like Jesus, his mission was to seek and save the lost. Is that your mission today? I pray that it is because 
whatever God leads you to do, wherever that takes you. When I look at Caleb, I just caught up with him. I haven't seen him in a minute. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? What are you doing right now? He's like, yeah, I'm working upstate. I'm doing this thing with kids. I'm working in a place where, and I just thought, amazing. Like, not that he's just getting paid for it, but that he wants to lean into a direction with his life that he might give himself to make a difference with young people who maybe have never heard of, grown up in the context of Jesus and know anything about him. And I know maybe that's not what you're getting paid to do from a church, but still your mission. But I know that's the heart that's driving what he's doing. Am I right or wrong? He could get paid as a smart guy. He could give himself in a lot of different ways, but he's, he's trying to live to give away the very thing that means something to him. And that's the challenge for all of us. If, if we are like Jesus today, that's our mission. And we can't forget it. We, we have to be reminded from the scripture, which is what we're going to look at in a second. I want to look from the same story. I want to look at the passage of scripture my wife looked at yesterday when Jesus went into Samaria and he met this woman. This woman becomes a challenge to you and I. Like We're like the disciples that are following along with Jesus. And as we're following along with him, we're going to pick up in the story that they didn't get it. And they had left everything to follow him. And the part of this passage that we're going to look at, I'm going to take from the perspective of the disciples. We're going to look at the story from the disciples' perspective. Like, how can you be a disciple that you're following after Jesus, that you're trying to understand, like, he came into the world for a mission, and you're signing up for that mission, and yet you're walking alongside him, and you're missing the point, which we're going to see in a second, of, like, what the whole thing is about. If we're not careful, I can do that. I can do that in church. You know, I love church. Church is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But the way that that hope gets made alive in the world is through the church. It's through your life. It's through mine. And there is one thing that I, I love church. I love what this does. I'm, I'm so grateful that you're able to be here this weekend. A lot of you, maybe you've been to gatherings like the Sanctus gatherings before, but you don't really know anything, buddy. And you've had an opportunity here to connect with people. I, I thank God for that because you need people in your life. You need people to lovingly be there to support you, to encourage you, to know something about you, to know what you do, to know what you're up against and the things that you face as you go through your week. People that will stand with you, pray with you, encourage you. No, you got this. Let's go. Keep going. We need that. There's incredible value in what's happening here this weekend. You're getting some words that hopefully challenge you. You're getting to connect with people that's hopefully a blessing to you. And when you go back, stay connected. Stay in church. But here's my challenge with church. Sometimes church can become this place where we circle the wagons. It's like a, a, a bless me retreat. This is like a, a bless me retreat for a weekend, but we can make church this bless me retreat from a city that we're in that's really hard to live in, and there's so much that comes against us. And we can just be like, you know what, let's circle the wagons. Let's, let, let me go. Let me get my encouragement on a Sunday, maybe on a Tuesday night, even if I'm not there in person. Maybe I'll watch it, listen to the sermon, follow Pastor Simbla as he does his daily devotionals. Like, awesome. But toward what end? What's the end of it? Jesus has left you in this world for a cause, for a mission, for a singular purpose that your life strategically in his hands is set apart into this place, time and space in Brooklyn, New York, or wherever you are as you come to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He's put you where you are strategically because this brother can touch people that I will never see. Like you think of church as this place that you're supposed to come to be built up so that you can go out. 
You are the missionaries of the world. God has called you to fulfill the Great Commission. It's your life that's supposed to be in the darkness of the world. People aren't going to come. Unbelievers don't typically come to church. I mean, you might invite people, and after 25 invites, they might be like, oh, i got to shut this girl up. I'm going to come. They might show up, but, but they're watching you day in and day out. The gospel that they see is evident in your life. And I wonder what the gospel is that they see. I want to be someone that I'm not just grateful for what Jesus has done. I want to behold him. I want to make him the end of my life so that in that I can know his love. It meets me, but out of that, I want it to fuel me. I want it to fuel me in a way that drives me into the world where people are lost. Do you realize people are lost around you? Do you realize that God, he weeps over them? And in his mercy, when he looks at them, just as he took a son and sent him into the world. That son who's altered your life, he's like, now this thing is multiplied. Now this thing becomes greater. I'm sending her, and I'm sending her, and I'm sending her, and her, and him, and him into this world because as I weep over it, the gospel that you carry, the life that's in you, is the hope of the darkness that I've put you in the middle of. The Bible says, to whom much has been given, much is required. I'm not making this a thing of works. I'm just trying to get you to back up and get perspective and say, haven't you been given much? My wife, when she preached, that was an amazing word yesterday about the only thing that will satisfy you, the thing that you were made for. Your soul thirst is Jesus. And Jesus, looking to him to satisfy that longing that you have, he made a way so that what my son talked about yesterday, and this wasn't even programmed or planned. I just think it's amazing the basics that are laid out before us. As you now look to the one who can satisfy that soul, he now makes that living water alive in you. And if you cultivate that relationship with the Spirit of God inside you, you become like Jesus. And we're starting off today saying, behold him, and you will be like him. And I'm just reminding you, that the thing that unites everybody in here is Jesus. And the mission is not what you get paid for, and the identity isn't in how you go about finding a platform in this world. That's just something God uses so that you can get into the darkness in places where maybe the church can't go. And in that place, you've got to understand there is expectation on you from Jesus to speak and to live and to give. So let's just take a second and read through. Back in the same spot, chapter 4 of John. It says this, beginning in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. So they context, Jesus needs something to eat. They go into this place that... Um, has some food. They go to get food to bring it back. Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman, so we went through that yesterday. And when they come back, here they are. Here's the woman. And they come up, and they're like, what is going on here? What is Jesus doing now? What? They, they, so it says, it says they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, like, what do you want with her? What are you talking to her for? The woman left her water, 
jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I did, I've ever done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people streaming from the village, they came to see him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Jesus, you got to get something to eat. You're spending yourself. You got to get yourself built up here. You got to, Jesus was on a mission every day. He was living to give himself away. And that's not just a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. And they're like, you need some fuel in the tank. So here, here's like a, um, a bagel from, from the, uh, who are these people? These are the. The Samaritans, here's a Baron and Semegal and locks. So, eat this. And Jesus said, I have a kind of food you don't know anything about. See, they're following him, but they don't get something. Did someone bring him food while we were, while we were gone? Like, where did that come from? The disciples, they were asking themselves. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from finishing his work. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus found nourishment. Nourishment, food. Food is something you need to find energy to continue on in the purpose of life. Jesus found nourishment, strength, in giving himself away. Sometimes we're always like, and we live in a day, I'm sorry if anybody has used this expression of late, but we live in a day where everybody's like, self-care. We need self-care. You just need a moment for yourself. You know what I think part of our problem is? We are so fixated on ourselves; it drains the life out of us. And then we buy into delusional things that people bring in from outside of the gospel and outside of the word of God. And they're like, listen, mental health. You want mental health? Nobody spent themselves harder than Jesus. And how did Jesus keep going on? In a spiritual way, not in a physical way. Do you need rest? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I'm not, I'm not advocating something that's... But, but, there, but there's, there's a balance to this, right? And so sometimes we become a little soft in our spiritual constitution because we, we buy into things that aren't true. Jesus is teaching something that's contrary to the way that we make sense of the material reality of our life. Jesus is saying, don't let material things dominate spiritual truth. Spiritual life comes from giving yourself to spiritual things. You want to be reinvigorated. You want to find like something to keep you going. Give yourself to the work of God. Jesus' words, not mine. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing this work. You know the saying, four months between the planting and the harvest, this is like one of those little colloquial things that they had back in the day, and maybe sometimes spiritually they would understand that. Listen, there's a time to sow, and then there's a time to reap. So just take a nap between the two. He's going, hold on. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wage, and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. What are we working for? A paycheck or souls? What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants, another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant, and others have already done the work. Some commentators speculate that how was this woman's heart prepared for Jesus as the Messiah? This isn't too far from where John the Baptist did a lot of his ministry. And so John the Baptist, his ministry, people were coming from everywhere. They probably came from this little village in Samaria to hear what he had to say. And he was like, listen, get yourself ready. Brace up. 
the Messiah is coming. They understood what that meant. And so when Jesus shows up and this woman hears it, there was, it seems like there's a, a suggestion that maybe that kind of sowing that it had already done, he's benefiting from some of the ministry, and they're now going to benefit from some of the ministry that had already taken place. And it's true. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. So the story goes on, and it speaks about how these people now come from the village to hear Jesus because of this woman's witness. Uh, just for a moment, I want to juxtapose the, the two realities. You've got, you've got Jesus trying to teach the disciples something through this ministry that he did with the Samaritan. And he's using kind of the Samaritan woman to make the point to them of the reality of what they're called to do. So they're a little clueless, right? They're kind of coming into this village going, who is the Samaritan? Like, what is he doing talking to a woman? And she's a Samaritan on top of it. Like, why are we, what, Jesus, what are we doing? No, nobody's going to say it, but that's what they're thinking. Why would they think that? Because like you and I, they can miss the heart of what is supposed to be the driving reality of our life. It's what was the driving reality of Jesus coming into this world. When he looked at us, when he looked at our condition, when he looked at what sin would do to our lives and how it would destroy us, he had mercy. Mercy is this idea of I've got, it's not, it, it, if you do a study on the word, it speaks of like a, a sense of pity that starts to stir up on the inside of a person that when they look into the heart of another and they look at the experience and the reality of what life Life can do to a person, they begin to go, oh, that's terrible. Like that's, that, I, I, I can't take watching that. I can't, I can't bear seeing how they're getting broken down by life. And so when God looked at what would happen into the history of man, Jesus was like the mercy of God rose up and said, I will go. Mercy isn't just something that weeps over people. Mercy is something that finds follow through and it drives itself into action. And so Jesus has called these guys to be his, his boys to imagine the future of the gospel is hanging on the shoulders of these guys who are like, who are these Samaritans? Like, they got racial issues. Like, I, is this really worth our time? Like, why are we going through this? Why are we going through these people? Like, let's go around them and just stay with our own. Jesus was on a mission, though, to seek and save the lost, not just of Israel, but of the world. First thing I would just remind you of is if you're really looking into the eyes of Jesus, it begins to stir something inside of you that you cannot look at people. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care what they struggle with. I don't care if they're the same culture or not. It doesn't matter if they're a man, a woman. Like if your heart doesn't begin to get stirred when you look at them and you're going to take a second to actually reflect on where they are and you start to feel mercy for them, you better look at Jesus because that's the thing that drove him for you. And it was something that stirred eventually in the hearts of the disciples enough where you and I are sitting here today. Because if the whole thing hung on their shoulders and you and I so many centuries later are here talking about Jesus because he's changed us, they were faithful to find that mercy for themselves. And if they could find it for themselves, we're going to see in a second you and I can find it for our, our own need. Do you look at the world with mercy? When's the last time you wept over another person's brokenness? This is something, even in my own life in ministry, I've counseled thousands of people. And once you start hearing, I was sexually abused, somebody got, I killed somebody, you, you start to hear it time and again. I've heard everything over dozens of times. 
you start to get a little numb to it. And one time a girl came into my office and she sat there and she'd grown up, mom was on drugs, she got into a, um, she got into a, uh, she had to go into foster care. She was abused in foster care, was abused by men that her mother would bring in on drugs. It was, it was a horrible situation. And I literally am sitting there talking and I'm just thinking to myself, God, I don't, I don't care. You could say you're a pastor and you don't care. You can only take in so much. And I, I, you said, I, this is when I used to sit and counsel people. I would counsel eight people a day, five days a week, and it was one thing after another. And I literally sat and thought, I just, God, I don't care. Like, I hate that I don't care, but I, I just am numb at this point. God, in this moment, would you give me mercy because it is gone? So that was my prayer in the moment. God, I know what I need. You're merciful. I'm not. Give me what I need. She continued to talk, and all I'll tell you is the Spirit of God, I felt, came upon me in a way that I lost it. She continued to talk. I began to weep over her. But that might, I, I'm a bit of a boo-hoo baby, like if you get to know me. I was never this way, though. I will say this. I was never this way before Jesus. I was as hard as you could be. You, you wouldn't have made me cry for anything. But when I get around the presence of God, it does something. It softens me. And what it does is it comes out of my face and my, my crying. So the Spirit of God came into my office, and I began, I began to weep. But it wasn't a weeping from my office. It was a weeping that came. I really felt like it was from the heart of God. I felt like it was a weeping from heaven. I started to weep over her. I... It was like I had a picture for her condition, even though I knew a little bit of her story. It's like God gave me his heart for her. And I am weeping over her, and I am like, God, I, now I'm embarrassed because I, she's passing me tissue. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really not. Please, will you counsel me? I, wait, I need, a, I need a mental health break. I need... I needed a little self-care. <laughs> anyway, it, it really was something that it, it broke me, but then that was the thing because she was pretty hard herself. And when she saw somebody weep over her, and, and it's not, I can't even take credit for it. It literally was something I felt Holy Spirit inspired. That broke through in a way in her heart that my words and whatever the counsel was I would have offered her could never have. If you don't look at the world and you have mercy for what you see. Look at Jesus. Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see that they didn't. So as he continues to speak to them, he says, listen, my food is actually to do this thing, to live, to give myself away. I'm here to spend myself for the world. I'm here to bleed out my last drop of blood, to give my life that people would come to find it. That's my mission. That's my purpose. Guys, do you realize he's, like, he's, these guys are looking into Jesus like he needs to eat. He needs to eat. And he's going, you don't understand. I've already gotten filled. I've already gotten full because seeing somebody come to faith, seeing somebody look into the eyes of grace and receive it, that's, that's life. I don't know the last time you led somebody to the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands. 
But every time I lead somebody to Jesus and I have the opportunity to like say, this is who he is and this is what he can be. Do you want to trust him? Yes, I need it. I know that they find blessing in it. I could run a marathon after that. I, I Praise God, there is life in seeing grace imparted to other people because this is what happens. When grace passes through you, it's literally washing over you. Like they might benefit by it, but it's got to pass to you to get to them. And so when you're talking about rejuvenation and strength, it comes from giving your life away, seeing it come and giving it. Do you ever watch somebody that's ever suffered and you go, how do they keep doing it? Well, when you obey Jesus and you give yourself to what it is that he's put before you, and it might come with a price tag, how do they keep going? They keep going because as they're faithful to obey, grace passes through, and it gives them strength. It emboldens and emblazons them. And that's, that's what you've got to begin to see. Like this isn't just you've got to have mercy for people, but you've got to begin to see the places that God's called you to are strategically ordained by God because there are people that need that mercy in the world that you're put in. And in that place, if you will start to square up and go, yeah, this is, this is supposed to be my food. My mission is what? It's to be like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus come into the world to do? He came into the world to live so that he could give himself away. When we find Jesus, it's like, oh, praise God. He, he saved me. And now how do I receive? Receive all you want. But if you receive to the point where there's no outflow, like in Israel, there's a sea. It's called the Dead Sea. It's dead because life flows in, water flows in, but nothing flows out. So it stagnates, it putrefies, and there's nothing that can live in it. But if it had an outlet, now water would pass through, life would wash in the lake, and it would bring life. And so it is with you and I. And so with Jesus, he lived to give. Think about that for yourself. Do you when you think about your job, you know how terrible my boss is. He's horrible. They're just what an ogre. This guy's like Genghis Khan. Okay. Genghis Khan needs the gospel. And how do you think that gospel is made alive to him? Just let me, listen, you know what? One day I can't wait to get fired. One day I, I worked for a guy in New York. First job I ever had when I moved to New York City, I used to do construction. Uh, and like, uh, like James, I used to do construction. The guy that I'd worked for knew I was a Christian, knew I went to church, knew I was married. My wife was pregnant with my son. He'd be like, hey, bro, let's go to a strip club after, the, uh, after work tonight. And I'd be like, nah, that's, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. And that, the first time I said that to him, he was like, oh, yeah? He'd come, hey, listen, here's some money. Let's go. He, he didn't say it once or twice. He would always do it. And I would say to him, I can't wait for the day when I can walk away from this because I'm going to come into his office and I'm going to square up and I'm going to pound him with the gospel. (laughs) And do you know the day came where I was able to do that? And I I was like, you know what? God brought me here. And I said, listen, he was so uncomfortable and he was like, you know, I'm done. I go, I'm not. So you're going to listen. And this is what this is. And this is what you need. And you know all those times when you were inviting me to go to a strip club and you knew I didn't want to go and I was telling you about my faith and you, you were trying to wreck it? Well, that shows how wicked you are. And I'm telling you, you need Jesus. And if you don't turn, I won't say you're going to burn, but it's not going to be good for you. I'm not encouraging you to do what I did. I was just, that was frustration. I wish I could rewind the clock a little bit and go back and have more mercy for him and realize as Jesus is so, you know how tender he is here with the Samaritan woman? Do you know how tender he is 
with the disciples? Like, they don't get it. They're following the guy who's come into the world to have mercy and compassion, and they don't want to be anywhere around these people. And Jesus, he's not thrown off by it. He just kind of camps out in his patience. He stops, and he goes, what's the angle that I can take here to get him to see? When that guy started doing that with me, forget about the angles. I'm now angry, and I'm on the defense, and I'm like, you just wait. I let it build up. And what came out of me, it was the gospel, but I don't know if it was really the wisest approach to winning a soul. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. So God's calling you. He's calling me. It's, it's actually part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission says that we're supposed to go. It, it, listen, the Great Commission is on you. It's not on me. My job as a pastor, if you know your Bible, is to build you up so you can fulfill the Great Commission. I'm here to help you, to help you get perspective, to pray with you, to try to strengthen you from the Word of God. But your part, you are the greatest part. All of you are the greatest part of the Great Commission. I get so excited to look into the eyes of you and to kind of consider where you come from and the lives that you touch and think if you could just meet Jesus, if you could just behold him and you would take seriously what he's called you to do to go into the world and to seek and save the lost on his behalf. What would our world look like? You know when I look at politics in our world? You know who I blame? The church. If the church beheld Jesus, it would be more of a force in America that would keep the darkness in America from being what it is. I don't care, I don't care about your political perspective. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. If everybody, as a believer, were to look at Jesus, they wouldn't have an allegiance to a party. They would have allegiance to a cause. And so what's the cause? You've all been given. You've all been given this great commission. And this great commission is specific into a particular place that God's called you to. If you read in Ephesians in the second chapter in the 10th verse, it says that God has preordained, like before you were formed, he has set aside good works for you to do. He's planned your life. He didn't just plan to save you. He planned that you would do good things as an expression of his grace and mercy in the world. Do you realize the place that you're in today? I don't care where you are. I don't care what you do. It's a place that God called you to, not for a paycheck. It's a place that God called you to because in that place, there is incredible need. There's multiplied stories. Whatever your story is, multiply it by every person that you see. There are no exceptions to this. Nobody has a great life. Everybody's been handed the short end of the stick in a fallen world. And God's got you in that fallen world filled hopefully with grace as you behold him to say this is the good work you've called me to but now what's that good work look like it looks like this it says this in second corinthians in the fifth chapter verse 20 it says that you and i we've been called to be his ambassadors that god is literally in the place that he's called you to he's wanting to make an appeal through your life to reconcile a world that doesn't know him to him so big picture, we're all called. Specifically, God's got a place for you. But then particularly, you are called to minister reconciliation to people, to say, this is where you are, this is who God is, and I'm now I'm asking for eyes to see how I can serve you to make that love real to you. When Jesus came into the world, he didn't just preach things. He met people where they were. Make sure as you minister the gospel to people, you don't just tell them the thing like I tried to do and beat somebody up with it. Make sure you serve them in a loving way because Jesus, with a Samaritan woman, he served her. Like, 
supernatural. How many of you want to see God's grace supernaturally come upon you so that you can see signs and wonders follow your testimony? Signs and wonders, the ultimate expression of it is to actually see salvation. Forget about dead people being raised and eyes being opened. That all has its place. But if the power of God is actually accompanying your life and your witness, things change. They don't stay the same. Do you see that in your life? I hope you do. But if you don't, oftentimes like my life, then I got to back up and go, where am I in my faith? I'm lacking mercy probably. I've probably forgotten about the calling in the specific way that I've been put in to serve this person in a way that is going to meet a need that they have. Jesus, why did he open blind eyes? Why didn't he, why didn't he, if somebody had blind eyes, why didn't he just like, you know, remove an ingrown toenail and leave them blind? He always dealt with the things that were most important to the person. And in touching those things that were most important, it sent a message to him. He cares. Like there's real love. And that real love is what breaks the ground up. When you practically become an ambassador of reconciliation, understanding what somebody's need is, reaching down, serving it, giving your life and spending yourself as God gives you grace to pour into someone's life, what you're doing in a practical way is you're helping to plow up the hardness of people's hearts. And when you do that, I promise you this, supernatural power will come. The church doesn't see supernatural power because the supernatural power is set apart for the supernatural cause. To actually live to give. It showed up with Jesus and it's supposed to show up with us. When it doesn't show up with us, why? Because most of us, like me, could become retreating and we can think, well, that's somebody else's job. I'll pray for him. No, Jesus is saying, I need living bodies. Jesus came in the flesh to touch flesh. He set apart your life, and he's put his hand on you so that you can become his hand extended. That's what this is about. So when is the right time to do it? From this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, now. You can say, I'm going to sow a little something here and then wait until whenever, four years later, four months later for it to come full uh, to, to come full pass, right, so that we can actually see a harvest come in. And Jesus said, listen, forget about in this, in what he's trying to teach the disciples. You might sow, you might reap. Sometimes you sow and you reap. Sometimes you just reap. Sometimes you just sow. But would you please get busy and get to work? Get to work. Do something for the cause. Because the kingdom doesn't come unless you do your part. Do your part. Do your part. God will be faithful. Do your part. God will be faithful. So now, if, as I try to encourage you, I'm trying to encourage myself, I don't feel this way all the time. In fact, a lot of the time, I just don't care. You can say that's horrible, but it's just true. It's true for you. It's true for me. So what do I do when I find myself growing cold and I'm not living to give myself away? I got to get back to the basics. I got to behold Jesus. Just got to get alone. I got to get in his presence, and I got to wait upon him to receive what I need to go. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said in another place, he said, look, don't you see? Look around you. The fields are ripe for harvest. And the suggestion is, if you don't go into the fields and do something to bring what's ripe back into the storehouse, they'll rot in the field. The harvest will rot in the field. So workers are necessary. Well, who are the workers? You and me, we're the workers. So what does Jesus call? He calls us to pray for the laborers because the work depends on the laborer. 
And the laborer is only going to be as strong as the one whose presence they abide in. You're abiding in the presence of God. Oh, he fills you. See, when was the last time you gave some consideration to people in your world? You're making connections here. This is good. Uh, Maybe you had connections before you came or you stopped and you really started to give intentional focus in your Christian relationship that you're trying to build one another up in. And you said, you know what? I haven't been out in the fields for a long time. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that God would meet me, that God would strengthen me, that God would give me that sense of grace, that sense of mercy, that sense of drive that would send me into the world? And that's biblical because if you read the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, there were guys who had seen miracles. They saw the resurrection. They saw the outpouring of the Spirit, but they were being threatened. There was, a, there was an enemy that came against them and said, you keep preaching Jesus and you're dead. So they started to back up and they realized we got to pray to the Lord of the harvest. So they get alone, they call on God. There's almost like a second Pentecost that happens. God comes and he shakes the place that they were in. And after God met them, you know what happened? They boldly went out and they proclaimed the gospel everywhere that they went. See, I'm done. When you've met God, when you behold Jesus, your heart is captured by his. And when your heart is captured by his, that fuel, that loving fuel commands you it compels you you can't help but tell people about jesus that's why the little woman at the end of the story and the samaritan woman that's why when she looked into the eyes of the savior and she realized her need and she whatever way the transaction happened she opened her heart to him and he met her she dropped it all and she ran she couldn't help it and think about where she went as my wife was pointing out she went back to people that rejected her people that looked at her and despised her she didn't care what anyone thought about her she didn't care how she was going to look she was commanded to go because love does that and that's what i want to pray for right now i'm going to ask you to stand up the musicians can come down we're going to we're going to sing the last song that we finished off with But we're going to pray, and I'm not praying for you. I've prayed for you. Before this morning, I woke up, I went and I prayed. I've been praying all week in different ways for you. When I look into your eyes, I don't know your life. I don't know what you're up against. Luke said, God loves you. I know that. And I pray that it comes to command you. But he loves the world, too. This isn't just about you. What's the greatest command? It's to love God with all of your heart. And to be the second is equal to the first. To love others as much as you give consideration to yourself, consider others. Love them. Give your life away. This song says, lead me in love to those around me. God, we need that today. We can't fake this, God. We can't make this. We're here after a fun weekend. God, we've been encouraged. We haven't slept. We're tired. But God, we're about to go back into a world that you love, God. You love. It's my prayer this morning, Jesus, that you would help us to love the world like you, that we would have mercy when we look at it, that we would 
find somehow your heart, that you would, by your spirit would stir this up. We can't make it, but we submit ourselves to you this morning and we say, Jesus, would you come as we open our hearts? Would you make your love real to us, that it would command us, that it would consume us, that it would compel us, God? Your church is to be a force in this world, and Lord, one of the leaders of the church, God. All I can do is say, forgive us for taking our eyes off of you, for not beholding you, for not allowing the things that matter to you to matter to us. God, we can't change sin, but we can acknowledge it for what it is, and we can say, forgive us, God. If that's you, as I've tried to challenge you with the word of God, and you know that in some way your life has been deficient in being concerned with the things that consume Jesus, the lost, can you take a second right now? Anything that's not of faith is sin, and whatever sin is, we got to repent of. I want God to come, and I want him to fill you. I want him to fill me afresh that I might go and be like the early church. I would be commanded to go and tell people, not just by some word spoken, but by an inward reality, a law of the heart that would command me to go and proclaim. But I'm responsible for what's there right now. And unless I turn from what's wrong, then I'm trying to bring in something that's already blocked by unbelief. So right now, that's true for you. You don't have mercy when you look at the world. You're a, bit, you're a follower of Jesus, but you're a bit like the disciples, like I've been for so long in my life in different ways. I'm with him, but I don't get it. Can you just begin in your own way to say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I don't live for the cause of Christ in that way. God, I know that, and I, by acknowledging it, I just turn from it, and I now look to you, Jesus, and say, would you come? Would you come? If that's where you are right now, would you raise your hands? If you really want not just a good weekend, being reminded of things that are true, that are good for you, that will build you up, just a, a, I'm grateful for Jesus and the, the way that he can quench your soul. Make place for him. Make place for that life that Luke talked about, his presence inside of you. But it's toward an end. It's toward a common end. If you want to begin to live like for that common end, never before, just raise your hands. Let's sing this song together as a prayer. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To connect with us, visit our ministry page at brooklyntabernacle.org or you can follow us on our Instagram at SanctusNYC.